and welcome to Cue the Apology, a parent's guide to faith at home. I'm Nate. And I'm Gavin. And you might make mistakes as a parent, but you truly are the expert on your kids. We're not really experts on anything, but we keep reading books and blogs and talking to people. We do. And today, we actually have somewhat of an expert, not on your kids, but somebody who is currently studying education on this podcast. And who is that name? <laughs> education of what? You're just like, education. Well, He's I, studying learning. I don't want to take his fire from him. So well, I want him to be able to That's usually how you do it, it if there's a guest. You like be super excited about them. <laughs> this is Dylan! Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. Hi. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan is an extremely animated person until you put a microphone in front of him and no audience. Then he gets lost. True. It's true. Yeah. So anyways, what do you do, Dylan? Who are you? Yeah. Well, right now I am a student, as Gavin said. So I, uh, I kind of like to talk about my education in three ways. I I did a year certificate in missions and then I did Mm -hmm. a four year degree in theology and pastoral studies. And now I'm doing a master's degree in leadership. Mm -hmm. So I say it really follows of a, a track of saying, who am I trying to reach? What am I trying to teach them? And then how am I trying to teach them is the mm. focus of this new degree. Mm. I went to I Bible like college and started a podcast. Same. <laughs> That's, about, <laughs> That's it. There are no, there are no separate levels. Yeah. The funny thing is though, like I feel the desire to always learn the, how do you teach mm. thing now? And so as you're like going through for this degree, I'm always compelled to learn more about it because I'm super interested in mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so. Well, you and I even talked about that. Like you, you've been able to help out in some classrooms at some local schools, right? Mm-hmm. And as you've been learning how to run kids ministry at our church, you're just like, whoa, <laughs> like these yeah. people are like, it, the, the content doesn't always change, like the subject matter of what's being taught, but the delivery has just evolved and then you look at how Sunday schools are run and how kindergartens are running. You're like, these are two totally different ways of approaching people. Totally. And yeah. it's, it's guys like Dylan that are like, how do we learn? What's yeah. the best way? Yeah. Which is super important. So Dylan, tell us about this Stuff. process. Yeah. <laughs> Learning and teaching and walking towards these goals of education and yeah, well, I uh, I started in youth ministry in early 2010, and so I've been, over the last 10 years, really noticing a shift in how young people and how kids are, are learning and how mm. they process information. So I really got into this degree to try and figure out what is that shift and how can I be a more effective communicator with the next generation. Okay, question. Gavin, were you still in youth ministry at 2010? I, I I don't think I had started in youth okay. ministry in 2010. I think I was in I was going into junior high. When was that? Yeah, some time ago. Yeah, I was I was in junior high at that time. Okay, you, fantastic. You should know he just picked up his phone to try and figure out when 2010 was. Well, if we're in 2022, let's take off 12 years. I was in grade six. There, there we go. go. <laughs> Prime junior high. Fantastic. So that's when Dylan started ministry. That's also when Gavin started ministry. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Okay, keep going. Tell us more. Yeah, well, the the reality is there has been a real shift in how 
the generations learn. And so the way you learn and even the way millennials learn is different than the way Gen Z learns and coming Gen Alpha, how they learn. And the big shift really came with the way we interact with cell phones. So uh, we became this internet in our pocket generation and, and that shifted how we find information and how we interact with what we hear. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. Cause now you say anything and it's like, you just expect that all the teens are going to like pull out their phone and like fact AKA check you on Gavin, the spot. Where were you in 2010? Phone. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. <laughs> also, can we just say Gen Alpha? Like, come on, how did they get that? Like we get the, I'm Gen X or Xennial because I'm that weird blend. Like they don't even know what I am. They're like, you're, you're somewhere in there. But now all of a sudden we're like, mm-hmm. we've had the golden generation, the greatest generation, boomers, blah, 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 bottom of the alphabet alphas hey it's better than gen beta to come after them that won't be fun for anyone yeah they're just fish <laughs> True. okay so you've noticed a, a large shift in how not only we teach but how we receive information right like yeah absolutely yeah it used to be a generation uh even for millennials to a degree where growing up, they had to trust their parents or their teachers or their pastors as the source of information mm-hmm. and for them to be the experts teaching. But now it's, it's become this self-expert type generation where mm-hmm. I can be an expert in anything I'm interested in because of the internet in my pocket. And yeah. so I don't look to my parent, my teacher, or my pastor to be the main source of teaching for me. Yeah. I, I look to myself and what I can resource, mm-hmm. and then they're just another resource in my arsenal. Yeah. Yeah. That's like with masterclass and like YouTube and all these things that are super accessible to use, to learn and to grow on your own. And even my first instinct now is to look to a YouTube video over asking somebody how to do something. Right. So that, yeah, no, that totally is true. No, I have to ask in this, like, have you noticed like as much as these people, these people, as much as our generation, <laughs> our younger generations are experts, and I say that with trepidation and air quotes, do you find that they're applying their knowledge or just holding the knowledge? So, I mean, when we look at what we used to call experts in a the field, they've spent years kind of honing their craft. Like they've taken the time to, mm-hmm. to work through and be like, this works, this doesn't, and that's why we're charting this path and I can write expert papers and whatever, uh, but with younger generations and, and to some extent, a, a whole culture is shifting to this right. way of taking information. We all become experts through our phones. Um, do you find that there's a lot of practical application of that knowledge or it's just, I have it, therefore I'm an expert? I think we're starting to get there. I, I think mm-hmm. as the culture is recognizing the shift in how people learn, they're they're beginning to shift with it. And that's what I've I've really discovered in my uh, diving into the education field, um, we've we've moved from teacher centric to student centric. Hmm. We we've moved from trying to be the teacher to more of a facilitator, and we are. Uh, there's uh, this has actually been something from my research that I found tremendous. But hmm. they talked about this idea of a pool of knowledge, and every student is a contributor to the pool of knowledge. And as a teacher, you are, or a parent even, you are also a contributor, but also the lifeguard facilitator. You're the one making sure the things that don't belong aren't there. You're the one putting boundaries around the pool for safety. And it's by shifting the way you view 
how you help people process information and apply it. That that's the shift in the role of adults. Yeah. Sounds like a hive mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just all shared knowledge, right? Like (laughs) weird. Okay. So what, how, how have you seen that play out in the church? How have you seen that play out in, in how we teach faith? Well, that's actually what I'm learning. It ha- the church is behind. It, it's always mm. been behind in mm. culture. Um, you know, when it came to adapting technology, it was behind. When it came to trying to determine certain policies, they, they watched how culture was developing. And it is too behind in how we teach because we value so much having a pastor on stage. And, and where we see the effect of it being behind is there are people who don't want to be small group leaders or youth leaders or kids leaders because they don't know enough. Right. They, they don't feel like they are qualified enough. They aren't a pastor. They aren't someone with the biblical education. And so I actually see it impacting us in the reverse and the negative where we don't feel like we're ever far enough ahead to mm. dive into the great commission that God's called us into. That's really interesting because I, I know it's something I've experienced in which is the, I've worked about four or five churches and it's always the fight to find small group leaders. It's always the fight to find people who will stand up and teach in some form mm-hmm. like that, that, that pool doesn't exist for a lot of churches. Now there are some that are just absolutely fantastic. And, uh, I, I mean, there is an argument to be said that churches that are planted near schools or specifically like Bible colleges, it's a lot easier to find teachers because that's a teaching training ground. Right. But I, I'd say the average church struggles in, in finding small group leaders and even youth leaders sometimes, right? Like totally. people aren't willing to pour into kids ministry or youth ministry or women's ministry, whatever ministry we've got, because like, I'm not equipped. I don't know how to teach. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and and the same implications are in parenting too. Yeah. And this is what I find really interesting. So in, in 2021, John McKee, who is the president of the Source for Youth Ministry. Mm. He, he's been an author and he's a public speaker and he focuses a lot on parenting. And he wrote a book called Parenting Generation Screen, and it's guiding your kids to be wise in the digital age. And in this book where he was, I mean, I have to say this, McKee is not a researcher. Uh, he's just a dad and a guy who's been in youth ministry for over 25 years and somebody who is approaching this from a really practical way. Mm-hmm. And what McKee was, was noticing is how we can learn from education in this collaborative way. So rather than recognizing the old ways of parenting where you kind of lay down the law and people can follow it, It's trying to grow my child's depth of knowledge, their ability to process, and even including them in. So he gives an example, right? If my 14-year-old breaks curfew, he says, if you had a 14-year-old, what what should happen in this situation? Hmm. And they have to begin to process. They understand the law kind of was broken. What do I do with that? Yeah. That's really interesting because last year I had a few youth approach me like talking about like their parents and like the difficulty to Mm -hmm. listen to what they say essentially. And they're like, they always just say what to do. They don't say why to do it. Mm. And I feel like before that was a big thing where the parent or the leadership figure, whoever it is like 
lays down what it is that we have to do. Right. And then you trust them and you cling to that. And maybe you learn along the way why you do it. But now there is this, as you said before, this age of people who are experts in a sense, air quotes, on everything right. because they have YouTube, they have uh, phones, they have access to the internet at all times. And so they're starting to question maybe even earlier why why is this what I should do? And so, and that's exactly, yeah, through experience, you just realize that they want to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. They want to be part of the knowledge and how they get to that conclusion, which doesn't mean just letting them go at it and taking your hands off. But how do you lead them in conversation, the collaboration? I think it becomes idea. like this earned authority kind of concept. Like this is what I've been kind of... I'm, gapping off at the windows or staring at the floor as you guys are talking. But <laughs> when we talk about experts, there's usually a level of authority, mm -hmm. right? Like it's, I go to this person and I submit myself to their authority. So if they say this is this, I agree. I right. go. That's what I do. Uh, in this age where we can find so many other experts, we begin to challenge authority being like, why is this the right authority? And it's not that we're unable or unwilling to accept the authority of our parents and our pastors but we need to know why you, mm -hmm. why am I submitting myself to you? Right. Um, and just because doesn't, doesn't work. Like mm -hmm. I, I love saying, I, I've said this for too long, but like millennials used to be gen Y and then they became millennials. And I'm like, that's dumb. Uh, forget the alphabet, <laughs> which we then went back to. But <laughs> the point is gen Y is actually an apt description it became, or it was the beginning of these generations that asked why, right? Like that, it was the overarching question, the theme no longer it was, you're an authority, therefore I trust you. You've been placed there for a reason. Let's move on. It, it, it's not a challenge of authority, but like a validating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's so true as to how, how kids and teens and even young adults today learn. Right. And, and as caring, healthy adults, we want to, to save these teens and these kids when we see them going in a direction. We want to protect mm -hmm. them. But kids, adolescents, they, they don't want us to, to save them. They want to be in a position to save themselves. And this is something that this is really hard for adults because kids want to discover it on their own. And sometimes you have to let them fall, yeah. which is really difficult for us. Hardest thing. Yeah. And so we kind of have to shift from a position of how do we be preventative to preparative mm -hmm. and prepare them for the things that they're going to face. And also, how do we continue to build resilience? Because if they need to fall in order to learn, how do we build resilience so that they can keep falling and keep getting up stronger? So there's, there's this parenting technique, style, whatever, uh, that revolves around failure and pain. Mm-hmm. That if a child falls uh, or fails, like the tower breaks that they're building or, or whatever, what's your reaction to it? Because that's what they end up looking for. So if uh, my child hurts himself and I immediately rush and are you okay? He begins to cry more because like this is a bad thing versus what we've had to train, like my wife and I, how we've trained ourselves and how uh, we try and teach our, our family and friends around us. If our kid falls, the first thing we do is nothing. Mm. We might laugh, we might, we've used the word bonk, uh, um, but it, that's the first thing we do and we watch their reaction. Now, if they're actually hurt, they're gonna react. Like that, we're not dismissing the feeling, but we're not setting up our own. And I'm 
I'm hearing you talk and, and that's just really coming to mind that the younger generations want to, f- they want to do things on their own and right. it's when they fall, it's when they fail that they're turning and looking at us. Right. And they're like, is this bad? Did I do it wrong? Like, what do you do? And so are we diving in or are we supportive? Are we just being like, bonk, let's move on. Like, I, I don't have an end to this thought, but it was just this really neat comparison that I was seeing that as much as I'm doing this with my child who's learning to walk and crawl couches uh, or over couches, it, the same thing can apply when they're like 16 and 18. Absolutely. And I mean, in the same way that your children are looking to you as kids when they're experiencing something, I mean, research from the Barna Group and Fuller Youth Institute, it shows that while parents aren't the first place kids go to because they go to their phones first, especially as teenagers and adolescents, Mm -hmm. they're still one of the top three places they Mm -hmm. go to. Mm -hmm. And so they go to their phones, they go to their friends, and they go to their parents. Mm -hmm. And they still look to their parents to be a guide through what they're experiencing. So we shouldn't... We shouldn't feel like losers or at the bottom of the list from the gate because we're not number one. We're still up there. Absolutely. Okay. And you play an important role up there. Okay. Cool. So how, I guess my thought is like how, and you talked about it a little bit, this idea of collaboration and getting them to think about consequence and just all of that sort of stuff. How do parents how should they approach being that third option or still being up there in that tier? Yeah, there are different ways. And this is where every parent is going to have to discover what works for their family. But, you know, an example is let's talk about cell phones for a second. And say if my child wants to get a cell phone, and that's hypothetical because I have no children. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if, if my child wanted a cell phone, I can say, well, Hey, what are, what are the rules around this cell phone? Mm. Let's have a conversation together. What do you think the rules should be? Yeah. And then when they get the cell phone, you're not just giving them the law. You're, you're just holding them accountable to what they believe to be healthy. Mm. And along the way, you're also guiding their thoughts. So if they think that, oh, I should have absolutely free reign, well, that's where you can guide the conversation. Well, no, the cell phone should be turned off at this time so that you can have sleep. And you, you shouldn't be doing this on your cell phone. You, you can't just buy. I heard of one, one student I had in my youth ministry who his, his dad's credit card was on the account and he bought like oh, no. $300 worth of video games. <laughs> and the parent, you know, was like, I don't know what to do with this. And I said, probably take your credit card off yeah. the phone. Step one. <laughs> right. But you could come up with boundaries together and rules together and, and teach them about how to govern and how to, um, how to run their life in a healthy way. So how does that work within like screen addiction and we'll say age within it? So I have a four-year-old mm-hmm. that is just like, I want to be on my iPad, like gets up in the morning and we've. We have like three things on it. We give him Netflix for road trips and then he has two school apps. One doesn't even work because his iPad's so old. But it's like, I want screen time. I haven't had screen time. And he'll just like rant and be like, screen time, screen time, screen time. Four-year-old's not going to fully comprehend the rules and barriers that we come up with together. Like, how do we do that? Yeah, I don't know. I, okay. I, it, it's, it's a great question though. And I think it's something that we we as you know, adults need to try and at first kind of create boundaries when our, Mm. when our kids can't create boundaries. Yeah. And so that's where you can have a family meeting 
And rather than you're reacting to the moment where they're saying, I want screen time, you can have a conversation, family meeting, hey, meeting, here's our rules. Mm -hmm. Here's, you can have access to screen time, but here are the rules around that. The challenge, of course, is with a four-year-old, will they necessarily remember and recall? No, but you can recall with them and that can continue to build a consistent message where you're already incorporating a little bit of this collaborative, you were in the room, you know we're not just arbitrarily saying this, we had a conversation before this happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I'm trying to remember the name of the individual, but I was listening to a podcast by just like a child psychologist kind of thing. And she was talking about that that kind of concept where especially with screens it was on like how to deal with screens and stuff with kids in this age and she's talking about the importance of when they're young setting up boundaries with them there so even though they're not necessarily contributing to the boundaries at that young age they're there during the decision and they see why you're making that decision And then you repeat it to them over time and keep having the conversation because like any kid, they're going to make mistakes still with those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so when they make those mistakes, you've already talked about the boundaries and the outline. And so then you can bring it back to that conversation and bring it back to, do you see why maybe we shouldn't do this on our right. cell phones or do you see why maybe we're taking away your cell phone for a time because we together decided this kind right. of thing and consistency is king in this and being able to come back to a consistent message of here are the boundaries here's kind of our family contract here's mm-hmm. our guidelines what helps us know what's good as a family coming back to a consistent message will continue to help students and children realize what they're trying, what the bar is, what what they're trying to live to. And, and that helps in terms of accountability, even at a young age, they can start to learn accountability because they're, they're hearing a consistent message that they know what they're being held accountable to. Yeah. And that, that goes right into our conversation on communication is that, most of the communication you do isn't verbal communication, mm-hmm. no, it's but it's, witnessed. it's actions, it's witnessed, it's the precedent you set. And so this idea of starting accountability from a young age and talking about these things and talking about the why over and over again, that builds them up realizing one, that accountability is important mm-hmm. and our actions affect others, mm-hmm. but it also communicates to them that we can choose to do good and we can choose to make good decisions. Like from a young age, it's communicating without necessarily communicating. Right. In a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then that empowers them to think about the why from then on and to talk about the why with people. So, yeah, I think that's really helpful for parents to think about how we can draw, well, I'm not a parent, but how parents can draw their kids into the conversation without worrying that it's going to get out of hand, but trusting that you can come to these decisions together. And if you don't, right away, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Keep trying, keep having these conversations, invite them in because they want to be in the conversation. Yeah, so often we get stuck in them. And for some reason, I'm seeing this everywhere right now in conversation. We get stuck in the idea, well, nothing's happened. 
let's say like how long you've been doing it. Look mm-hmm. back over the years. Have mm-hmm. things grown, adjusted, shifted, changed? That's that consistency. Like we're when we say um, that this is a podcast for for parents' guide to faith. Like you've got your child forever (laughs) like it's not even like 18 years it's like you have your child forever like Mm -hmm. how are you how are you modeling what growth are you seeing change like even say your child grows up and they're in their 20s 30s moved out and you're like they're not following faith what do I do like you still get to model and influence that it's the consistency and that's so hugely important takes time yeah yeah and I'd say in this parenting I mean I think we've heard in a lot of ways it's one of the hardest times to parents but I think there's also one of the best opportunities in parenting today because the expectation is not for you to be the source mm. of all knowledge. Mm. And if, if your child or your teen comes to you with questions, especially even questions about the Bible, I know for, for an audience that might want to be teaching faith formation, mm-hmm. but you don't feel like you have all the answers, you can model what it is to investigate. Yeah. You can model what it is to find answers and teach your children how to do that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The idea that curiosity is healthy mm-hmm. and it leads so to discovery. So, so good. Love that. I mean, every generation says they have it the hardest to parent. So I'm pretty sure our kids are going to be like, listen, you had it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even understand. <laughs> Anyways, this has been great. Thanks for hanging out, Dylan. And uh, I've been Nate. I've been Gavin. I've been Dylan. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.